Hey everybody, Doug Schaefer again with The Taste. Thanks very much for checking out the podcast. This episode, we have a guest who a lot of you have asked about, Helen Keplinger. In a relatively short time, Helen has made a big splash in the world of wine, working with some great names such as Paradigm, Grace Family, and Kenzo. She's worked in Santa Barbara, she's worked in Spain, she spent a little time in Australia. We have a lot to cover, so let's get started. Hey everybody, Doug Schaefer, welcome back to The Taste. Today we have Helen Keplinger um, joining us on The Taste. I've been wanting to get her on the show because she's been making some killer wines and I want to hear her story. So Helen, welcome and thanks for coming in today. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. It's oh, that's great. really it's flattering great. to be asked to come. Oh man, I, I got to hear the story. So let's let's go back. Where, where are you from? Born and raised, where were you? I grew up in Canton, Ohio. Which is, how far from Cleveland? Um, it's about about an hour south. So Midwest, what uh, what was Canton like? Um, up there? Great place to grow up. Just a place where you can you can fit a number of activities in one day because there isn't a lot of traffic, and um, the cost of living is very reasonable. So we had a lot of you know fun activities. My parents were big gardeners and sort of the classic uh, swimming, golf, tennis upbringing. And they also loved the symphony and the opera and musicals. So we had a lot of a lot of all of that oh, growing neat. up. So neat. just you know, kind of classic and, um, Midwest upbringing, probably. No, I grew up in the Midwest. Did you? But yeah, outside Chicago. Awesome. Similar gig. Yeah. Country club, tennis, yep. golf, high school, bop, bop, bum. But my house, it was uh, well, I was not supposed to be drinking, but it was bourbon and beer. Oh, totally. How I, about you guys? I don't know if I should. Yeah. Um, my, so my, my parents. parents drank wine okay. every night. So my dad um, my dad had a wine cellar and he wasn't, wasn't really a trophy collector, but he just would buy wines. Um, he would read the wine spectator pretty religiously and um, pick out really good value wines that he could buy large quantities of because they would drink a bottle. They still do. They drink a bottle every night and... Even now, there's on the dinner table. There's no water. There's no water glasses. <laughs> they just have wine. So um, got to teach them how to hydrate. <laughs> I know. I've been working on that. But um, but anyways, that was that well. Was see, but you grew up. I, that's a difference. Yeah, I, I never saw a bottle of wine mm. in the house. I mean, rarely would be, if it if there was wine. If they had a dinner party, I think it was like Lancers or Matus, something like that. Oh, my dad had Lancers yeah. too. Yeah. But um, so wine was totally foreign to me. I mean, uh, as a kid had no concept of. So how did you get into it? Oh, that's a whole... Let's, let me interview you. How okay. about that? <laughs> In 30 seconds. Dad got uh, got a crazy idea to invest in the pending wine boom in Napa Valley. This is 1973. Bought a vineyard. Oh, my God. He was not a wine guy. He did it as an investment. Was going to wait 10 years, but just got fed up with the corporate thing in Chicago. Moved us out here in 73. Oh, my gosh. I was 17. He started, he replanted this finger, started making wine in 78. I got the bug and UC Davis and boom. That is so fantastic. 35 years ago or four, well, 40 years ago or more that we moved out here. Wow. It was pretty crazy. That's incredible. Definitely no traffic in Napa Valley then, let me tell you. I know. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you had wine at home, um, high school, sports, activities. What'd yeah, you do? Yeah. So high school, I was, I was always a big runner. So I did okay. track and then cross country. And, and then really got into running. Running was kind of a lifelong passion that actually I only wrapped up probably with the 
with my, uh, I had an in, a running injury oh. <clears throat> that slowed me down, but otherwise always a big runner and, uh, from high school and still running on. No, not now. I don't really have, um, time yeah. and, um, I'm trying to be a little bit nicer to my joints. So yeah. yoga and we have a lot of other sports that we like to do. And so, but you, you ran some marathons. Yeah. Couple, I ran a couple marathons good for you. That's big. Yeah. Did Boston a few times. All right. Okay. Uh, and so high school graduated. Then what? Where do we go? Um, I wanted to get out of Ohio. Uh, okay. As much as I love growing up there, I was just eager to go away. Um, and so I went to Smith College in Western Mass. Okay. Great school. Yeah. Great yeah. school. And studied? I was super interested in, sci- in the sciences. Right. Sort of broad range in the science. And I think it's because I found them really intellectually challenging. So I kind of went through, and I had some really amazing professors who were okay. very inspiring, but I went through chemistry and thought, oh, maybe chemical engineering. And right. I went to a few meetings of the, you know, the chemical engineering club and that wasn't for me. And then I thought <laughs> maybe polymer science. So I did an internship over the summer in polymer science. Um, I tried, you know, another internship in veterinary science and, and again, those weren't. And then I sort of zeroed in on, um, I did a lot of biochemistry research in okay. undergrad. And I thought maybe medicine would be what I wanted to do. So that's sort of the track I was pursuing pre-med studies and undergrad. Okay. Well, you were, you were hardcore scientists. I mean, you know, my, my Davis stuff, for, you know, for veterinology, it was, it was, it was a lot of science, but it wasn't the super hardcore, but, uh, I know that's the, what's the, so great about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you were, you were trying everything. So as you're kind of bouncing around college, are you, are you drinking wine? You're drinking beer? What's, uh, I mean, is wine still around for you at that point? Yeah. So, um, you know, growing up because my parents had this, right. you know, wine cellar, um, and I was always really outdoorsy. I loved just being outside and I was always drawn to, Rocks. So I, I had a rock collection and a wine bottle collection. Really? Rocks? And, yeah. How did where that come from? I just don't know. It's just what rocks, I was interested in. And my parents okay. had some fun bottles that I would, I had them all around my room, you know, rocks and wine bottles. I don't know. I was a strange kid. But anyways. Um, <laughs> no, there's visuals going on here. It's kind of cool. So in college, I was always the, in college and after college, I was always the one who ordered wine when we okay. went out, you know, friends went out or if I went out with a boyfriend, I always just took the wine list because I felt, I felt like I knew wine, right. which I, my repertoire was pretty slim then. But after college, I moved to Boston okay. uh, for two years of medical research at MGH. And MGH was? Mass General oh, Hospital. Mass General, thank you. And um, Western Mass, you know, actually near Smith, there was this amazing wine shop. I don't know if it's still there. It used to be called Big Y Wines. So the I've, grocery store Big Y had that shop. Have you been to that shop? I've sold wine in those places. Seriously? In, in Massachusetts. Yeah, I remember Big Y. Yeah. So they used to have a dedicated shop. Right. I was actually just out there for my, um, <laughs> my reunion. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to go back to this place, you know, that sort of was part of igniting my interest, my serious interest in wine. And I couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. It's gone. <laughs> totally oh man, another retailer. I know. So um, anyhow, they used to have thirty-five labels, and the whole thing was temperature controlled, which was pretty remarkable in those days. And so I would go out and I would buy a case at a time and just read through a region. And but it oh, never cool. crossed my mind that I would do it as a career. I just never. So you know. it, was, it was like it was a hobby. Total hobby. hobby. Interest. Yeah. Serious interest. Okay, yeah. but you're in Boston doing medical research. What kind of research? So it was with a group of four PIs okay. and principal investigators, and they were all really, really brilliant and 
all young, all in their you know 30s, mm-hmm. and they were um, PDGIs studying immunology. Okay, and so it was it was specialized and it was really fun. But I loved immunology in undergrad, and so I set up um, an immunological histochemical core for them to just to look at samples. And as much as I loved it in undergrad, and I loved these you know these um, docs. I mean, right. they were they were academic physicians. They were amazing. Um, super dynamic. I mean, just the most incredible people, but I didn't love the day to day and I didn't love going to work every day. And so it was the first thing that gave me pause in, you know, thinking I, I knew for sure what I wanted to do. Okay. And so I didn't quite make it two years there because I just was, I started thinking about what else I could do. And I found that, um, I started looking around. I really wanted to go abroad because during college, my, my, plan was to go spend a year in Paris at the Sorbonne. And I got so wrapped up in science courses and these incredible professors that I didn't go abroad. Instead, I just took way too many classes (laughs) and stayed. And, um, and so I regretted that. And so I wanted to go abroad. I wanted to get away from science because I felt like I needed to clear my head and get some perspective. And so, um, I came upon the idea of, um, you know, some volunteer work or something, you know, volunteer program. And I was interested in the Peace Corps, but the Peace Corps was a two-year commitment. And at the age of 22 or something. Yeah, how old were you? You were like 22? Yeah, you know, two years felt like an eternity and I couldn't even make it through two years of medical research. So I I was terrified to commit to two years of the Peace (laughs) Corps. (laughs) So I started looking at one-year programs and, um, you know, a lot of universities had them, but I looked at... um, I was really interested in Southeast Asia. And so Princeton and Harvard and um, I think Stanford, they each had a program and I ended up doing the one at um, through the Harvard uh, School for International Development mm-hmm. in a program called World Teach. And they went to 14 countries, which were developing countries. And so I picked Thailand. And so right. I applied to that program and then I, I left um, Boston and met MGH and I just did a cross country trip and kind of got myself together. And then I went to Thailand. This program sent volunteers uh, twice a year in April and October. And the October group was always the bigger group, but I was part of the April group. So there were only five of us. And um, they had us in Bangkok for about a month, uh, just doing intensive Thai language study and cultural study so that we wouldn't be offensive foreigners. And Uh um, (laughs) Which, Thank yeah, God. Can happen, which can happen to all of us. Yes, and then and then they shipped us out to our, um, you know, our, our locations. And I think that you know, going over there was super exciting. I've right. always just completely thrived on adventure and and new experiences and things that that might be you know kind of scary. I, I yeah. love that. I like things that scare me because they challenge you and right. help it's you the grow. Risk and, right. Yeah. Gets you going. So fun. So. Um, so I think that was maybe the, I had this image in my head of being really like in the jungle, you know, this tropical jungle, yeah, which I was, I was not, but, um, <laughs> but I was in a small town and there were, I, at least where I was, there weren't any other foreigners. And it was, you know, it was a small school that the king at that time was trying to elevate the teachers. They had a, a bunch of teachers colleges okay, and, um, and they were trying to elevate them to become universities and so I was part of a program that was that was trying to do that. So I was teaching uh, conversational English to first year students, and then I was teaching poetry 
which was crazy. <laughs> and um, you with the, you with all the science background. I know, I know. It I was love this. so good to get out of your comfort zone. Um, but I think through that and experience, what, what age kids were you teaching? Were they high school, uh, college? They, you know, so yeah. I was twenty three teaching eighteen year olds. Okay, wow. All right, so you're teaching, and that's for a year or two. It was for a year, okay. and um, during you know during that time, I had I could travel every weekend, oh, and neat. I went all over the country, um, and then traveled. You know, out, we went up to Nepal, and it was a really really great experience. And I think through that experience, um, it was great to get away from from science. Although I still had this plan to pursue medicine. And, and one thing with teaching was I, I realized that teaching was also not a natural gift, at least at that time in my life. I think I'm a little bit better now with, with the perspective and, and having a right. son. But um, it was a lot of work. And it was every night I had to really prepare my lessons. Um, I didn't love speaking in front of people. I wasn't naturally uh, gifted at that either. And so the exercise of, of speaking in front of a class and uh, wanting to be really engaging as you know, the professors I just had in college right. who really affected me and inspired me were, and and then, uh, you know, just having lesson plans that were meaningful and the students could actually learn something. And so it was it was a lot of work and it was also something, I mean, I, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't something I loved. And that was the same with the medical research. It wasn't something I loved. It was something I had to really, really work hard to, to do well. And so it, it was, you know, another thing that I just thought, gosh, I don't, you know, I don't want to do this for the rest of my right. life. I don't want work to feel like such an effort. And and for some reason, I thought I, I work should be enjoyable. Okay, <laughs> I'm with you. So, um, but while you were over there, you ran into somebody, right? I heard oh a story. Oh my gosh! Yes, I heard yes, a story. yes. Tell me that story. So at the I'm, end of the year, we went to. Um, so at, during the year, three of the three of the volunteers and I became very, very close friends. Okay. And we would travel around the country together, get together in Bangkok on the weekend or go visit each other at each other's schools. Mm -hmm. And so we, we planned to go to Nepal um, for a month or five weeks after the, when the program ended. And so we flew into Kathmandu and um, we decided, you know, we, we decided we would do the Everest region. Okay. And so we we hiked out of Namche. We went to Kumjung, which is um, the first stop basically outside of Namche. And we stopped there for, you know, a coffee and some right. breakfast. And it's, it has the the um, <laughs> the distinguished title of the highest bakery in the world. And there you so go. we stopped there. <laughs> and, th you know, this is after a year of being a volunteer, I was making $250 a month. I was, right. you know, which was a great pay for Thai standards in the country at that time, but um, up, up country at that time. Mm -hmm. But anyways, um, I hadn't had any wine except for when, you know, I went to go visit my boyfriend's boyfriend and his family during Christmas. Okay. And um, I was sitting there and I looked over at the next table and there was this small group and there was a there was a bottle of Grace Family Vineyard on the table, and I just nearly died because I missed wine so much. Did you know what Grace Family? Oh was? yes, okay, yes, you did. I was so, well so, aware. So it. I was so you were yeah okay completely blown away that it was it was Grace Family. That somebody you know who who the, had a bottle of the, Grace Family at the highest bakery in the yes, world. Yes, totally of all places. Yes, the sign. <laughs> so so I looked over and 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 it was 
you know, Dick and Anne. And Dick actually, and Debbie Zacharias was there too, which is Debbie crazy. Debbie was there? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, you're kidding me. Yes. Oh, so, which I, I didn't, didn't know at the time, and yeah, I didn't know yeah. how amazing Debbie, Debbie was at the time. Debbie is a longtime wine retailer, um, runs Ferry Merchant Plaza's wine store. Store. She's just awesome. She's been in the business forever. She's one of the best wine people out there, but I had to throw that yeah, in, but totally. carry on. She's amazing. So anyways, um, Dick came over and let me, you know, hold this bottle of wine, which I like, I took it and I just dropped my head down and touched my forehead to this bottle because I'm like, oh my God, I miss wine so much. And holy crap, this is a bottle of Grace family. Where am I? And Did he let you have some? Did you get no, 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 he didn't. Dick said, Dick said, you know, and it was so nice to meet Dick and Ann. You know what? Just people I'd read about in this epic wine. So, um... He said, you know, I'm so sorry, that's actually my last bottle and I need to take it to somebody. You know, they've they've right. supported so many, so many charities uh, and, educational and right. charity efforts in Nepal and orphanages. And, mm-hmm. and so he was going to meet, um, I think, at the director of a school, which they'd helped start. And so he he said, I'm so sorry, I can't give you this bottle of wine. And I, I mean, I didn't expect to be given right, a bottle right. of wine. I just wanted to hold, hold the bottle it. of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, we went our separate ways, but... I recalled that story to him um, back in 2014. Right. I got a phone call um, from a friend who said, are you looking for any more projects? And I said, yeah, not really, but what is it? And he said, Grace Family. And I said, absolutely. That's, you know, a, a property I, every time I pass it, I think about it. And it's, I've thought about it for years and just what a wonderful, beautiful, special place. So, Well, that's full circle. So you're, and yeah. you're still working with that am, project yes. with Grace Family. So. And we'll touch on it later. But real quickly, those who don't know, Dick and Ann Grace, um, wonderful folks, and started Grace Family Vineyards Winery 30, 40 years ago. Small production, beautiful, beautiful Cabernet. Probably one of the first, um, if you want to use the weird term, cult wines before uh, (laughs) cult wines became a thing. This is back in the 70s. And uh, wonderful, wonderful couple and so generous and giving and supports charities and orphanages in, in the f- Southeast Asia in a big way. But uh, uh, they've since retired and I think they sold Grace Family just in the last year or so. But right. Helen's up there working, working. Well, you're making the wine there, right? Yeah. Now, yes. well, what a great story, full circle. Yeah. Because this was, uh, it's 2019 when you were in Nepal and you met him. It was when? Uh it was, 1997. That's a long time ago. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Okay, so it's kind of like you had this moment with this bottle of wine. So did you walk away kind of going, hmm, or not? Because I walked away thinking, wow. Interesting. You know, I loved this year, and I love travel, and I love being in the middle of nowhere, and, you know, I love these experiences. But, boy, I really miss wine. So I went back to Boston after that, and I was starting to work on my um, medical school application. Okay. I did the MCAT and um, started working on the applications, and I was shadowing the PIs with whom I'd worked in the lab in the clinic, right. and um, and grilling them about, you know, why did you do, why did you choose medicine? Yeah. And, and they all said why, and then they said, if we could do it again, each one said, if I could do it again, I would, and no one said medicine. And you know, I think it's just it's where they were in their lives, but as a twenty-something you know, soul searching for mm-hmm. what would be my passion and what I would love to do every day. And it just made a big impression and it really made me think. And at the same time, I came across this book, Milady Vine, and it's Philippe de Rothschild's autobiography. 
And so it's it, he's in the same period of his life and he's in his 20s and he's thinking about what he wants to do and his parents, his family is in banking and they really want him to pursue banking as well, family huh. business. And he's not interested in banking and he loves, um, he loves cars, he loves women, he loves wine. And so he escapes regularly down to their country estate, Mouton, which mm. is totally defunct at that time, but falls in love with it. And, you know, it's the story of him taking that to taking first it. growth, which wow. is incredible, you know, incredible life's work and, and that he really found his passion. And for some reason, it just kind of resonated. And right. I looked and I found that UC Davis had a graduate program in viticulture and enology. And so when I found that, I just thought, oh, that's, that's it. This is crazy. And so I applied to that program. All right, well, I stopped all the med school. How did you find that? Because stuff. you know this is be- this is before the internet. And, it was just well, when the internet was starting. Oh, so it was when it. you would do a search <laughs> and it would take you ten minutes to get an answer. So it was not an easy task. But yeah, this is back in. This is so bad because see, I'm I'm equating my life. You know, when I was just out of college, and trust me, there was there weren't computers. So oh no, I, for so sure, okay. for sure. No, it was awful. And you remember when they first came? How long it would take oh, you? Oh yeah, okay. So to I'm have with you on the that. screen change. But you found this program. Yes, because okay. this is nineteen. This is the end of nineteen ninety-seven. So okay. there was internet. Got it. But um, but it was very very slow. very slow. So I found that program. I applied to the program, and um, I was going to ask you about yeah. that. How tough was it to get in? Was it tough? Yes. Yeah. What because was, they didn't really it, accept. It, I felt like they weren't accepting outsiders. Napa was so much more insular. So how? In you, fact, when I applied to get um, a job doing medical research. I applied all over the country. I looked at electron microscopy. I was looking at marine biology and I applied to wineries. I was interested in wine, but no, nobody called me. <laughs> Got it. So how, I thought maybe I, mean, how I could tough, get in so, how t- for, the, so, for the lab or something. How tough is it to get in the master's at UC Davis? Probably pretty tough. At that tough. time, it was really hard. So yeah. what, did you come out and interview and so beat them um, up and I sent, pester them yeah. and all that stuff? I sent in the application, which was probably in the fall, so maybe November of 97. And then I just took off and traveled around the country and uh, did another trip back to Southeast Asia for three months. And then I, I, went, I went back to Boston. I packed up all my stuff and drove cross country. So I moved to California. And um, I was staying with my boyfriend's parents uh, in Marin. And I would drive over to uh, UC Davis because um, they weren't going to let me in. So, so, so they they had turned you down. They had. Or they hadn't encouraged you. They had not encouraged me. And so you. And so took I went over to find out why. And I I drove to UC Davis. Oh, I had actually I've, been I've emailing. I've got a visual of you knocking on somebody's door saying, "Tell me why." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what went wrong? So um, I I had been connected with Ann Noble on the East Coast because she went to UMass. And UMass, and you know, Smith is part of a five college system in right. the beautiful Pioneer Valley of Western mm-hmm. Mass. And so we connected, and I'd been emailing with her. And, and, and Noble was a great longtime prophet, UC Davis. Yeah, in the super, program. super bright, yeah. super intense, super direct East Coast powerhouse. Right. Love that woman. So I went over to meet her, and she just said, This is ridiculous. You need to march yourself down there and ask them, you know, what's going on. And so I, I did. I'm not going to name names, but I met with one of the professors and said, You know, I understand that there's a question about whether I'm getting into this program. And was it my grades? No. Was it my GRE score? And they looked at all the GRE scores and they said, no. I said, was it my recommendations? No. Was it? And he said, well, it must have been something in your personal statement. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. I went up, I told Anne and she said, 
that's ridiculous. And she said, well, you can get into the program. Um, you could get into the program in two, in two ways there. One was uh, food science, which had fewer science uh, recommend or fewer science requirements. Requirements, right? And then um, you could also get in through agricultural chemistry, ag chem. Okay. And that had more um, science requirements. Which I mean, yeah. I was a bio yeah. major yeah. with a chem minor. I had all the requirements, and so I just went through that department and got in no problem. But it was honestly at a time when I just felt like I mean Napa is so different now. We have so many um, people from all over. It's such an exciting place and mm -hmm. has been for you know, at least 10 years, 15 right. years, but at this time it was not. And in that program, there were very few people who were just coming from the outside. The following year, they, they accepted people. I had, you know, friends from, um, from Williams, from Amherst, from, you know, from other East coast schools that were very, had backgrounds very similar to mine who had no connection with anything in Napa, but I, I just felt like it was kind of a turning point maybe in, in where Davis was and yeah. where the wine industry was going, which is really neat. Well, it's good. I mean, it was needed and yeah. it's happened because yeah. it's, it's a, you know, it's a worldwide industry, you know, right. as we all know. Right. So, okay. So great. So you got in. So I got in. Phew. You're, pers you're persistent. Yes. Yeah. I picked that up. I picked that <laughs> yes. up right away. <laughs> so you're in to your program. Are you doing internships or working while you're there or just... So when I moved out, I, um, you know, I knocked on a lot of doors right. and with no experience, knowing no one coming from the yeah. East coast, it's tough. no, you know, it was very difficult to get a job, but I don't know how somehow I, I knocked on a uh, mom's door okay. and Rob McNeil was the head of winemaking right. at that time. And he gave me a chance. Great. So he gave me my first job. It was in the lab, which I did not enjoy. It was super boring, right? not fun, but I loved I loved that. I was so appreciative of the opportunity. I met Kirk Venge their first year, right. which was awesome. He's such a great guy. And then I did um, Davis. And at the end of that you know, year, I, I wrote cover letters and you know, wrote my resume and I sent it to probably, I think eight or nine people, but they mm -hmm. were all people who I just absolutely admired and right. thought were incredible. So Helen Turley, Bob Levy, uh, Ted Lemon, Heidi Barrett, I forget who else is on that yeah, list. Those all are the my top. But anyways, I got a couple phone calls, not that many. And uh, I think I had three. And one of them was Ren Harris from Paradigm. And so I hadn't heard of Paradigm and I didn't know Ren, but I went and I interviewed with him and, and he gave me a couple bottles to try. And I loved him. And he, at the end of our interview, he said, you know, Heidi Barrett gave me your resume and said, I better interview you and that I should hire you. Interesting. And he said, and after this interview, I'd really like you to come work for me. Had you met Heidi yet? No, I hadn't, but I thought she, you know. Yeah, she has a great reputation. Yes. Um, but was she was she making his wine or consulting? She was mm -hmm. making she his wine. She still is. And she still it's been, is. I think their first vintage was 91. They're her oldest client. That's right. Oh, yeah. I, I did know that because yeah. she was in here. So he hired you to basically be winemaker or be like, what was the title? Or what assistant, was the job? Winemaker. assistant winemaker. You know, it was, I skipped everything and just became the assistant winemaker, which is a blessing and a curse because you miss that period where you just get to be completely ignorant and ask all the dumb questions. And I felt like I couldn't. So I just <laughs> pretended like I knew what I was doing. No, I'm sure you still did. But you were working with Heidi. Who's, yes. Who's, who's great. Amazing. And yeah. a great, and a, I'm sure a great teacher. Amazing. And, and a great role model 
not only in winemaking, but also in, I mean, she's like the epitome of the sybarite. Yeah, just great. really enjoys life. And So you jump in, Ren hires you, mm-hmm. assistant winemaker. You're there every day. Heidi's checking in once, twice, three times a week, something like that. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And that was your first time really doing cellar work. Yeah. Okay. It was awesome. Oh, it's it's fun. It's neat. But you got to learn, you know, it's it's not that complicated, but someone's got to teach you. So Heidi taught you, probably. Or Ren would come oh, out. Ren, okay, you Ren. You know, Ren, Ren knew in. enough knew enough to be dangerous, right? Right. Ren would come out and um, show me some basics. This, the vineyard guys would also come and help sometimes, too. Yeah. So I did the internship over the summer. I actually took the fall semester off or fall quarter off okay. to do a harvest. And then Ren, you know, Ren had just had... Oh, you were still you were still getting I was your still master's. Still at Davis, oh, yeah. I, I still had another year. Okay, okay. Um, the guy who was there before me was not a very hard worker, and so Ren was, you know, just I'm a really I'm super industrious, mm-hmm. crazy, workaholic type person. So he was totally blown away, and he said, "You gotta, you can, you gotta stay, Helen." <laughs> and I said, "Sure." And so I kept the job while I finished grad school. So I would just go there on the weekends and keep up with topping. I would go there on the weekends and do racking. And just kept the job throughout the, my second year of grad school. And then... Um, Were you living in Davis or Napa? I would live in Davis. And, in and I would or? just drive over. And Ren has a little tiny guest house. Yeah, it's kind of good. studio attached. It's across the carport from their main house. And so I would stay there on the weekend and do the work and then go back to school on Sunday night. Um, and so then when I finished, I just became the full-time winemaker or full-time assistant winemaker at a Paradigm. Way to go. Yeah. That's very cool. That's awesome. Okay. So at this point, it's 1997, 8, 9, something like that. Let's see. 1999 was probably when I did my internship there. So then when I finished, it was uh, 2000. So you got a full-time job. Right. You're living in Napa. Right. All right. What's next? So living in Napa, I wanted to do, since I skipped that whole, you know, self-exploration before you become the assistant winemaker, I wanted to do an internship abroad. So Ren let me do that. He was fine with that. I went to Australia for a couple months in 2002. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. he's He let you do that? Yeah. Man, I wouldn't. Oh, yes, you would. You guys are up there with like the nicest, coolest people in Napa. Oh, no, no, no. You're on the list. No, no. Well, you're very kind, but you should need to talk to people at work here. No, I'm. (laughs) It's like you you can't. You have to stay here and work. Oh, um, okay. So I'm sorry. You went to Australia for two months for an internship at. Two or three months, yeah. um, That was another experience of finding it difficult to get a job, but I was hired at Rosemount. Okay. So it's in New South Wales. Big producer, right? Yeah, in Denman. Yeah. Yeah, big producer, but they weren't, it was before they'd been purchased. So okay. they were still family run. Um, but nonetheless, they, um, my God, <laughs> it was amazing. It was a big seller. Everything I'd really done was small. Well, mom's not that small, but mom still isn't that big either. Right. And so it was really eye-opening. And I think it was a wake up for me, or at least an experience for me that told me I like small wineries. I like the minutiae. I'm not really a big winery kind of person. So I like details and I like to, I just like small scale things where you can really nerd well, you out like on that. To, I'm going to jump in. You like to be involved, yes. involved in every step of the way. Right. You know, um, Elias and I for years have had this conversation. You know, we've been together so long and, and as he took over and I'm out running the business and selling and all that, he said, look, we get much bigger. I'm going to lose touch. I don't want to lose touch with my wines. Totally. And I respect that. Yeah. And, we're, and we're able to, fortunately, knock on wood, we're able to remain this size and stay in business. And so it's, 
it's nice, but I, I, I get that. Yeah. I never, and I'm kind of, um, I've always wondered what it would be like at one of these places that make just hundreds of thousands of cases. I mean, oh the scale gosh. must be crazy. It's crazy. And I, I would have, I would and have no. And the tanks are gigantic. Uh, I mean, it's just. <laughs> it's like, a, that's a big tank. So crazy. I mean, I, but I've thought back in the early days when it's like, where are we going to go with this business with Schaefer? We're going to ramp it up. I'd try to kind of, I didn't talk to anybody. I should have talked to somebody, but it's like, I, I would think to myself, how do you take it from 20 or 30,000 cases to a hundred or 200? I mean, how do you, how do you do that? And it was just like, hmm. I'm sure there's a way to do it and people have done it, but it was, it was always kind of um, just like, whoa, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. So I'm glad that's neat that you got to, to see it to early on say, no, I don't want to go there. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It was interesting. And you know, in the beginning I was, um, they hired too many winemakers basically for harvest and with good reason, because I mean, things would come up with these people and anyways, a few people left and, and, um, you know, I was just an assistant winemaker. So I was sort of lower down on the totem pole in terms of, um, experience. And so as soon as two positions opened up, I got to be a winemaker. I was a night shift winemaker. So I worked from 7 PM to 7 AM, I think. And slept in a, they gave us, they put us up in a trailer park, which was hilarious. So I slept in, I had a, my own little camper <laughs> in this trailer park. Um, but um, but it was really glamping, interesting. Glamping in Australia. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. Before it was a thing. Um, but they would have me do finishing trials on the wines before they got bottled. So it was setting up, you know, this wine with all of these different treatments, you know, finding agents right. or tannins or whatever and which was really interesting but god that is so far away from how you know how i make wine how i would ever i don't I'd never do any of that but it was interesting so it was another you know just i don't know if it dawned on me then that i definitely didn't want to be doing that to my wine but um but it was it was a learning process interesting see learning I, i've never experience. seen that up close and personal and um i guess you could call it yeah, I'm not trying to be negative, but I guess you call it more of an industrial winemaking as, yeah. a, as opposed to yeah. um, artisan winemaking or something like that. And, totally. and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a different scale and yeah. the, the end result's a different product and all the right. products are good in their own. There's a place for all of them. Right. And that's, that's fine, but it's just a different, it's just a different deal. Right. I get that. Interesting. We, we were talking about Dick Peterson earlier, who was was on here a, a few episodes ago, but uh, Heidi's father, great winemaker, but yes. his he started out at Gallo and he has some wonderful stories about Gallo and it's, you know, winemaking on a whole different scale. Right, so, right, yeah. totally. So where are, we're still in Australia, you're a winemaker, night shift. Right. For, for three months and then come back to Paradigm? To Paradigm. Okay. So after that, I, I went back to Paradigm and then I, I moved, I, I was going to be finishing up at Paradigm because um, I had been there for two years, I think, as okay. the assistant winemaker. Right. And um, I had married a guy who lived in L.A. Oh, and tell so, me about that. That's, that's a big... By oh, the way, thanks for, telling me your, tell, thanks for telling me your story. This is really fun. <laughs> I hope you're okay, because I'm loving this. So to, all right, marriage is, you know, forget wine. Let's take a break from wine. Okay, okay. I married the wrong guy, and, and he was in L.A. Okay. So I moved to L.A., and, and I started looking for a job in LA, which, God, I probably, I feel like I sent out 50 resumes. You know, my, my, I did concentric circles and expanding, you know, mileage radius to try to find a job. <laughs> and I ended up, um, 
luckily ended up in Santa Barbara and uh, got a job with Kathy Joseph at Fiddlehead. I heard about that and yeah. I just saw that and I go, gosh, Kathy. She's amazing. She's yeah. great. And whenever we really had conversations, smart. you know, at tastings and things, it's like, I taste what she's making. It's like, man, that's good. So how cool. She lives in Sacramento and she um, put together a partnership deal to buy a vineyard okay. in the Santa Rita Hills and uh, beautiful vineyard. And so this was this was very much in the early days. She'd been making her wines at Zaka Mesa. Okay. And I worked with her. She moved them to another winery that I'm totally forgetting the name of, but it was across the way. It was in the um, in the industrial park in Lompoc. Which, okay. Um, and so it's a bunch of corrugated metal buildings that have been kind of you know the floor has been ripped up and sloped with a you know a drain right. for winemaking and cooling units added. And so she was at um, another winery. Um, gosh, I can't remember the name. Of it. it was like Presidio something or. But there were a couple other wineries in there. So it was like a very small, very, right. very small custom crush type outfit. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the following year, she had uh, purchased or leased a building and was converting that into a winery. Okay. So the first year we were in this somebody else's building. And then the second year we were in our own building. So it was that process of, you know, retrofitting this um, warehouse essentially mm-hmm. To become a winery, move everything over, equipment purchase, you know, and she's a really, really smart, smart woman. So I just learned a lot from her. What a great experience for you on that one. And she's tremendous in the vineyard too. So I got to spend a lot of time in the vineyard as well. Good. So you're with her for a couple years? Two years. Okay. And then I knew, you know, two years is sort of the segment of time if you're interested in continuing learning and... Um, Mm -hmm. want to explore other things. So I wanted, you know, when I went to Napa from Davis, I loved Napa and I knew that Napa was where I wanted to be. Hmm. And so because of that, I wanted to get some experience outside of Napa because I had this feeling that as soon as I really invested in Napa, I wouldn't be able to leave. Okay. Just because you advance in your career and you get full-time positions that, you know, lead to other things. You can't just pull out for a year or two or three months or it's very difficult. True. And so um, the opportunity to go to Santa Barbara was great. The opportunity to make wine in Australia, even though it wasn't, wasn't really my type of winemaking was tremendous. And what was left was making wine in the old world. And so I had gotten, when I was down in Santa Barbara, I kept in touch with Heidi and she said, I have this job I want you to come up for. It's coming up in a couple of years. Um, but please keep this on your radar. And I said, absolutely. Okay. And so um, I, I knew I was, I knew I had something in Napa and I wanted to do something abroad and it wanted, I wanted it to be um, Spain, France or Italy, you know, right. something, something very traditional. Mm-hmm. I loved wines from all of those countries. And at that point I was really, I think I was really interested in Priorat. I loved Priorat. And so by chance, I had become friends with the general manager, Victor Gallegos, at Seasmoke. And so we would catch up from time to time. And um, after harvest in 2002, we had lunch and we were just catching up. And he said, what are your plans? And I said, well, I'm, you know, this is my second year. I'm going to look for something. I know I have something coming up in Napa. I'd like to do something abroad, namely in France, right. Italy, or Spain. Spain. And his eyes lit up and he said, well, I've got this project in Spain in the Priorat uh, with four other you know, friends who are my partners. And we bought this vineyard, um, I think at that point it was five years ago. 
and they had planted it and they had had an old section of Carignan, but they planted, you know, Grenache, right. Cabernet and uh, Syrah. And so they had sold the first couple of vintages to another winery, uh, you know, grapes and just waiting for the vines to be more mature to make quality wine. Mm-hmm. And this was going to be, you know, 2004, I guess it was, maybe, you know, 2004 was going to be the first vintage. And so um, he, is that right? I feel like I'm not getting, yeah, I think that's right. So <laughs> um, anyway, so he said, you know, we you, need. It's, I got to tell you, it sounds like you've lived 60 years in 20, but keep <laughs> going. I love it. <laughs> but I love it. So carry on. All right. So. So he said, we're going to need a winemaker. Wow. And I said, that sounds awesome, but, you know, I need this to be a real job. I can't just go over there and, you know, twiddle my thumbs and not be working full time. I'll get, I'll get bored. It's just my personality. Mm -hmm. I can't, I'm not a loafer. And he said, okay, well, let's meet again and talk about this. And I said, fine. And so we met again and he went through all the details of the job and it was for sure, a full-time job because it would be managing all the farming in the vineyard. In the winery, they had rented a space within another winery, okay. but needed tanks, a pump. You know, it was barrel racks. I mean, Barrels, everything. Bar- everything. And so we at press. I mean, it was going over there. So I went over. I agreed to take the job. I went over and had to find who sells equipment and go meet with them with very limited Spanish. I, I was totally, going to say, how's your Spanish? Yeah. Well, I thought I could get by no. because I had audited a course at Davis. <laughs> One course. There you go. <laughs> but um, no, I did not speak Spanish. So there was a Spanish partner. His business was not in wine, but he would come with me and, and basically help me and act as my translator and and help to get things done. But um, he was awesome. And so we, you know, I did, that's what I did. I did it for a few years and it was, it was awesome. It was, you know, living in Reus, which is just outside the Priorat. And it's actually where Antonio Galdi was born. Um, And, and so really neat little, very self-sufficient town with, you know, just a lot of bustling life. So it's a great place to live. And it would take me about a half an hour to drive up to the winery and the vineyard. And so, um, I spent a lot and I could sleep up there as well. Cause, um, Javier lived up there. And so I had spent a lot of time. I worked with a lot of different vineyards and growers up there and Grenache from different areas. And I worked with Claude Gros, who's a fabulous consultant based in Narbonne in France. And he would come see me, you know, maybe three times a year. And I would just grill him. I would save up all these questions I had because I basically was working alone and, you know, studying Spanish like crazy and just trying to get everything done. But I just had and reading a lot and just had so many questions and thoughts and philosophies. So he was that would be tough working alone as you learn how to make wine would be a real tough thing. Well, but I, I mean, Heidi, you had Heidi, you had, yeah, that's right. You always, right. And then I had Claude. So I had, you know, two really great mentors and then had this amazing resource in Claude Gross. You know, I just, I think about the early days here with Elias, you know, he was, I was here in 83. I hired him in 84 and basically it was just like for 10 years. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Well, I was thinking about this. I heard so-and-so's doing this. I I mean, every day. Yeah. For like eight or nine years. And oh, was, totally. So I kept, was, yeah, I kept notes and, ta- and oh, tasting a, and thinking. A, and it was so jazzy. It just was like, oh. It's so cool. And my dad was in on it too, the three of us. You know, Because wow. he'd walk in, the, you know, we'd be in the lab talking about something. Well, he goes, he'd bring in a half bottle of something from the night before. He goes, try this. It's really good. You know, that type of so, Yeah, super exciting. Fun. All right, so, so you're doing it all in Spain. Mm-hmm. 
And you get a, I bet you get a phone call from Heidi. Toward the end of that year, yeah. I did. And so I came back and interviewed with uh, Kenzo. Oh, Kenzo. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and that's, I started working at Kenzo, but I was still working in Spain, which was. Now, how, come on, Helen, how do you, 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 I don't uh, know. How do you do that? But wait a minute. And also, I think you got, I think you got married in there sometime, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, you got, come that's on. That's actually got, a great whoa. story. So, yeah, I want to hear that story. And then I want to hear how you, you're getting married and working in two wineries in two continents at the same yeah, time. I don't know. I had a okay. clone, maybe. Um, okay. So when I was living in Santa Barbara. Right. Wait a minute. No. When I was living in, working in Santa Barbara, I was living in LA. So right. I'd moved down because I'd married the wrong guy. And I quickly, I mean, basically after moving down there, we had maybe one good month and then things really started to go sideways. And, um, and I kept saying, you know, I think we need to go to marriage counseling. And he wasn't interested in that. And then I would go do Harvest with Kathy. And, and so, and, and I was, you know, training for another sure. marathon. And I think you know, through through that process and driving myself to the marathon, running the marathon alone Ooh. and driving myself home, I realized that this was not probably going to work. Got we it. did do uh, marriage counseling, but I think the second part of that, he just didn't go. Yeah. So it was just me going to counseling, which was great. And then I think at the end of, you know, when I started going to counseling alone and and thinking through that, I realized this was not what I wanted for marriage. And um, I was totally feeling like a failure that I oh, didn't succeed yeah. at, you know, yeah. this marriage, that something was wrong with me. But, um, and then I went off to do harvest with Kathy again. And through the harvest, I still kept uh, the phone calls with this, this therapist who was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I said, um, toward the end, I said, you know, I think, I think I, w I want a divorce. This is, I'm, I'm done with this. And he said, you know, I can't counsel you to have a divorce. But he said, once you decide, I can definitely tell you this is the right thing. <laughs> and so I came back down from Harvest. I met, this, I met, you know, this, my husband who I hadn't seen in two months. And, um, and I told him, I'm like, I'd like a divorce and I'm starting paperwork and, you know, here's some paper. And, mm -hmm. and um, he wasn't happy about that, but it was obviously the right thing. And so I had come down again and met a girlfriend at a restaurant. There's this, there used to be this tapas restaurant called Cobras and Matadors. And it was on Beverly, just east of La Cienega. Right. And it had a weird liquor license. Liquor license was tied to not the restaurant, but this little shop, shop next door. Next door. Mm -hmm. So the same owner had both. And so the wine shop was a Spanish wine shop. And this coincided with me already, already accepting you were going a job okay. in pre-rod. I'd already said, yes, I'll do it. And then obviously I'm in love with Spain and tapas and Spanish right. wine. And so, um, but going through the beginning of a divorce. Um, and so I met my girlfriend for dinner and I went next door to pick out a bottle of wine. You know, I look over in the corner and there's this really good looking guy sitting behind the counter who looks up at me and smiles and says, hi. And I said, hi, but just totally ignored him because all I wanted to do right. was get my wine, go hang out with my friend. I was not interested in meeting anybody. No, no man. Happy to be alone. Nobody. <laughs> and so um, I looked on the wall and I was looking for four labels that I really loved. And so he came over as I stood there wondering what I was going to drink and struck up a conversation. And um, he's, if, you, if you've met my husband, I'm sure, but he's super disarming, just mm -hmm. really incredible guy. And so, um, he struck up a conversation. We had a really funny conversation and he recommended a wine, which I bought. 
And um, I went next door. I loved the wine. Okay, good sign. And so he came over to check on us. And I was I was sincerely grateful for the good wine recommendation, which I said to him, you know, thank you so much. And he said, well, you know, let me recommend a dessert and come over and tell me what you think about it when you're finished. And I said, okay. And so we had the dessert. It was he's, delicious. I know. Way, and smooth. when he tells the story, he's, he's like, he's I smooth. set the hook. Yeah, I set the hook. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I went next, while my friend grabbed, was grabbing the car, I went next door to just say mm. thank you. And, and um, so we were talking and I said, you know, you seem really interested in wine. Um, and so here's my card. And I gave him my card, you know, mm-hmm. for Fiddlehead, which we had just, if you remember, we had just set, we were just setting up that building new, as a winery. The so the phone up. wasn't set up. My email wasn't set up. You know, nothing really worked. Right. So I wrote my cell phone on the back and said goodbye and we, you know, parted ways. And so he tried emailing me for a couple of weeks and it bounced back. And he tried <laughs> the phone and the phone didn't work. And so probably about a month later, he tried uh, the cell phone. And when he called... We were, um, this is the middle of December and we were getting ready for a holiday party slash open house slash, right. you know, we're so happy harvest is over. And so, um, he called and said, you know, who he was. And I said, Oh, I said, great to hear from you. I said, you know, we're actually, um, having this party if you want to come up and you, you know, you're more than welcome. And he said, maybe I will, you know, I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> I am working tomorrow, but I'm not working tonight. Maybe I'll come up. And he said, I'll call you back and let you know. And I hung up and I thought, oh my gosh, I have no idea who this person is. You know, I met him once, but it's a long way up here. It's a big commitment. It's two hours. It's a two hour drive. You know, what if he's a total freak? Yeah. Yeah. No idea who who this is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I thought, gosh, and, and furthermore, um, you know, it's really the middle, not the middle of nowhere, but it's, it was you know, it's, it's a small region. Where's he going to stay? Where's he going to stay? He's not I was staying back. in the vineyard yeah. house. The, I didn't even have a place to stay because Kathy had filled the vineyard house with her friends. Right. I had to go to LA the next day also. And so when he called back, um, I said, you know, he said, I'm coming. And I said, great, but <laughs> I don't have a place for you to stay. If you're okay with it, there are a couple campgrounds north of Santa Barbara and you could totally camp. And he said, awesome. That sounds great. I have a Jeep. That's easy. And so um, I said, terrific. So he drove up and it's a long drive. So he called me a couple times just to make sure that he wasn't lost, Mm -hmm. that he really was getting to the winery at some point. And so he called at one point and he was passing Halama and he said, whoa, Halama, what a great, you know, what a great place. I've always wanted to surf there. And I thought, oh my gosh, this guy surfs. I surf. And so I said, yeah, Halama, um, beautiful, but I always get worked there. Because it's a beach break, I always just, okay. it's like a washing machine if you wipe out there. Okay. And so, um, so he's a gosh, you know, he's thinking, wow, she serves. And so he came and we had so much fun. It was un- just undeniable chemistry, just nonstop, funny, funny comments, laughing, this volley yeah. of, yeah. you know, just humor back and forth. And I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> like I'm in trouble. I like this and so guy. halfway yeah. through I said... I said, look, you have to know I've got baggage. I, um, I'm in the middle of a divorce and I just Mm. want you to know that. And he's like, great, no problem. I was engaged Mm. for three years and I broke it off and I moved to California and everybody's got something. Right. And so it was nothing. And so we had a great night. We ended up camping that night at El Capitan, north of Santa Barbara. And then I had on the way, you know, on the way to El Cap, I had grabbed, um, 
my surfboard, my wetsuit. I had my ex's wetsuit, old wetsuit that had like a big hole on the butt right. and, and another surfboard. And so we stopped by Rincon on the way down to LA the next morning and we surfed for three hours. And that was basically, you know, wow, the kickoff of this. that's really romantic. Um, yeah, this oh amazing gosh, romance. That's cool. That lasted for about six months and then I moved to Spain to make wine. Okay. So, so they went to Spain and mm-hmm. you're in Spain for two or three years. Yeah. Long distance romance. Yeah, but we talked every day. Every day. And um, he came to visit a couple times and I came back a couple times. Good. And so when this job opportunity came up with Kenzo, I knew I wanted to come back. Um, and so I got the job. I moved back and DJ moved up from LA. Okay. And then I kept consulting in Spain for another year or so. And we just, you know, Kenzo has a pretty late, it's up on top of Mount George, so it right. has a fairly late harvest. So harvest would start, you know, maybe the first week of October. Got it. And so, so I could spend the full month of September, September in, in Spain. Spain. Meanwhile, keeping keeping dibs on everything that was happening in the vineyard. And then I would come back and basically, you know, it'd be game on. Jump in, jump in again. Yeah. Okay. But <laughs> DJ, your husband's has moved up here. Yep. Were you guys married yet? No, I was we're, totally not ready to get married. We're living together and he's working here. Yeah. Got it. And we're having a great time. And then about... About a year later, I went to um, Vin Expo or Vintech with um, David Brew and Brad Grimes okay. and Michelle Edwards, who was, she used to make wine here. She's in Australia now. Um, and we had this crazy, you know, fun trip in Bordeaux. And then afterwards I met DJ in Paris and that's when he asked me to marry him. Oh, great. So, yeah. He's a romantic guy. Yeah, yeah, uh. yeah. So that was... That's that fantastic. Awesome. So you you guys are back here. You're still you're a Kenzo for how long were you a Kenzo? Um, five years. Okay. From like oh five to two thousand and ten. Okay. I think or two thousand and nine, they were making their wine at Laird. They didn't have a winery okay. yet, and so I was making. That was how I was able to do you know more than one thing. And during that time, I started my own label too, and so um, then I helped them. You know, I worked with Howard. Um, back in Hard to build the winery in. and basically, you know, bought all the equipment and, uh, and then helped interview for a winemaker okay. to be full time up there. Got and then it. I consulted for one season with him and he's, he's still there. So okay. Mark Nains. So you still consult with Kenzo? No, bit? I don't. Okay. It's just that one season. Heidi does though. So that's why Heidi was a consultant because she's, she's the one that got you back to be the, right. the on-site winemaker. Got right. it. You probably know uh, Eric Schmidt. Yes. Construction company. Yes, yes, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he built it. He's good. Yeah, he did build it. He's real proud of it. It's a good friend. So. Yeah, it's a great guy. Yeah. So after Kenzo, you're consulting with him. And at this point, you're doing your own project? Yeah, so in about Spain, then? yes. In okay. Spain, working in the pre-rut with Grenache. I loved the wines before I went, but I completely fell in love with Grenache. Mm-hmm. And I got to make Grenache from probably seven different sites. And... You know, they all, pre-rad's so interesting because it's um, it's basically one terroir. You know, yes, there are small differences, right. but it's it's licorea. It's clay with slate, with schist. And so um, that, you know, seeing these seven different Grenaches from vineyards that were all on the same soil, but at different elevations with different slopes and different aspects and different humidities, making extremely different wines um, made me really appreciate the single vineyard um, nuances that wines can express 
namely Grenache. Well, in this case, Grenache. Right. And so when I came back to um, California, I knew I would be working in Napa. I knew I would be making, you know, I assumed I would be going with Heidi's, you know, encouragement was making mm-hmm. wine for other people and consulting and working with Cabernet and Bordeaux varietals. Right. And so I wanted to do something that was completely my own and totally different. And so I started looking for Grenache. Okay. And it took me about a year to find the first vineyard. Um, but I found this really amazing site that had volcanic clay and um, it did have some slate as well in the soil. And it was a vineyard planted by Sterling in 1996 for their tasting room. Okay. So the vines had some vine age by the time I got them and made gorgeous wine. And then that just sort of, you know, because I was doing that, um, you know, starting that project, I was catching up with Andy Erickson one winter and he was, and it was when I had just found this vineyard and he said, you know, what are you up to? We're just talking. And right. I said, I'm starting my own label. I finally found this one vineyard. It's making Grenache and Syrah. And he said, you need to meet Ann Kramer. And so that, you know, he's Andy and Annie are the ones that introduced me to Ann, which, um, what an amazing woman. <laughs> this is Ann Kramer, who, who's a, a fantastic vineyardist, a viticulturalist, and mm-hmm. worked here in Napa for years and yep. is now has been up in the foothills for, gosh, 10 or 20 years now. <laughs> yeah. I think she's been up there for 17 years. Yeah. So she's grown grapes. So you started buying what from her? You were getting Grenache? Well, I wanted Grenache, but um, she didn't have any the first year. Okay. And so we talked for about a year and she still didn't have any. And she said, I have Petit Syrah and Syrah. And I thought, well, you know, Petit Syrah has such a, an incredible history in California and right. Napa Valley. Um, but it wasn't something that I'd set out to make. But meeting Anne and seeing her vineyard and seeing her farming. I mean, you drive up to the gate of that vineyard and it is stunning. It's perfectly farmed. It is so beautiful. And talking to her, I mean, I, I absolutely love that woman. She is so, so, so smart and so passionate and so switched on. She's, she's, I really wanted to work with her. And so in the early years she didn't have, um, you know, she had Ken Bernards, her winemaker who makes Sancien, um, make wine from all of the blocks. So I rolled up to the cave, to Ancien's cave, and basically got samples from all the blocks, oh, nice. all the petite Syrah blocks, all the Syrah blocks. And I took them home and I did a bunch of um, blending trials, you know, tasted all the individual components, did blending trials, and came up with this blend. The petite Syrah was gorgeous, mm-hmm. beautiful, velvety, um, beautiful ripe tannins, and um, with just a little bit of Syrah was very, very finessed, even though that's such a massive right. um, varietal to work with. You will know. Yeah, we, yeah, we know and, it. <laughs> um, and so I thought this would be really incredible, but I think just with a little top note of Viognier and kind of a coat roti twist okay. on Petit Syrah, I think that would be really fun okay, cool. to make. And so that's what I said to Anne, and she said, oh, absolutely, we can do that. And I said, I'd like these blocks. This is what goes together. And we, we talked through um, clones and, and characteristics and things, too. She's very well-versed in all of that, knows her vineyard very well. So... We came up with this blend in, in 2007. I, I bought fruit from Anne, and I'm still I'm the uh, after Favia. I'm the second oldest, uh, wine, or the second oldest winery in her vineyard. Wow, so, good for you. She's just a blend. So it. then the following year it. we got Grenache. You made the blend in the vineyard. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That was fun. That's really cool. Yeah, we you know we kind of do that here. We kind of do that with Hillside different blocks every year. It's like, which, which one's looking good? Yeah, oh, the top of that block, the west yeah. side of that block, yeah. Yeah, when you know it, you can see yeah. it. Yeah, so when it comes in, it's like, okay, we'll 
keep that separate and that goes, that's going into that tank. The other's going in this other tank. Yeah. yeah we do that. Now I think about it. Cool. All right. So where are we now? So you're making your own wine yep. and you're consulting. Mm-hmm. So who are you consulting with these days? How, how many, how many wineries? These days, um, these days, not that many because two of them sort of became one. So okay. I was, um, <laughs> I'm making a grace family, which, um, right. One of my other clients actually just purchased in the spring of this year, um, which was great. It was uh, Catherine and Jeremy Green. Okay. And uh, Kate and Jeremy Green. And they had started, you know, they, it's cool. I mean, not to get too much into Grace's story, but, you know, Dick and Ann came up here um, from the East Bay. Right. And three children. And Dick was in, it was working in investments. And um, they, came up to Napa Valley, had no plans to buy anything, but um, we're having lunch, uh, a stone's throw from the, the Grace property now, and at the neighboring table was, um, oh geez, is it Mike Sullivan? Yeah, I think so. Is that right? Sullivan, yeah. And so he was talking about a property that he had for sale, Dick overheard it, asked him about it, and he brought him up to the property, and Dick just got this feeling and said, and they made an offer as they were pulling down you know, the driveway, and as Dick tells it, the guy hit the brakes and they almost went through the windscreen. But, but anyways, you know, Dick, it's just this like wonderful story of the heart and feeling and that, that they were drawn to that property and also one of their three children to enjoy Napa Valley and yeah. you know, a slightly more bucolic upbringing and agriculture. And, and Kate and Jeremy are, are very similar, live in San Francisco. He's in investments. She used to be in marketing. Um, and, and they have three children. And right. they came up to Napa Valley. They bought a property. The property had a little bit of acreage. They planted some grapes. And they sort of got the bug that way and then found out about another property and sold their sold their one property and bought this vineyard, mm-hmm. um, beautiful vineyard. It's the old Van Aspen property down White Sulphur Springs oh, yeah, on yeah. West Side St. Helena. So gorgeous, gorgeous yeah, property. Um, the uh, woman farming that is Kendall Smith, who's totally brilliant, she's a master gardener really farms with a, with kind of a, right. a, a gardening perspective and is wonderful with organic and biodynamic farming. And she's a good friend. We were at grad school together and I, I had her start at Grace because Kirk and I were working very closely together. Kirk Grace and I were Kirk working Grace, very closely right. together, but his duties at Stag, Stag's Leap were just getting bigger and bigger and he was feeling stretched. And so he and I talked about bringing someone else in. And so Kendall had started farming Grace and she told me about, she introduced me to Kate and Jeremy. Kate. So I started working with them making wine. And then when Dick told me he was, um, you know, thinking of selling and and just where they were in their lives. And, you know, it was just through a number of conversations with him and then conversations with Kate and Jeremy. I thought this might be a really nice match. And they had been introduced to each other right. through Kendall and myself and also um just a little bit of grapes that Grace bought from some old vines mm-hmm. that Grace was buying from um, Kate. And so that came together. So that is now, it's a, it's an, an awesome transition. There are a lot of commonalities between the two of them, uh, both in their personal lives, right. business, philosophies, well, interest were, in charity. You were the, you were the matchmaker. Just, uh, yeah, yeah you were. <laughs> very fun. <laughs> you're the matchmaker and now you're the winemaker. Right, yeah, right. That's, so that's one of my clients, very long-winded great. way. And then there's Carte Blanche Wine, which okay. um, is owned by Nick Allen. He's a great guy. His 
great grandfather was Clarence Dillon. And so he grew up with, oh, wow. you know, this wine and, you know, his family has, um, Aubryon and La Mission Aubryon and, um, Quintus and Bordeaux. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to start something in Napa, loves Napa, love, always, you know, loved Napa and wanted to do kind of the new world, um, version, yeah. but you know, carte blanche is the clean slate. So working with him is an That's absolute fun. joy. He's a wonderful guy with a great sense of humor and great energy. And then um, working with Christy Kerr, who's a professional golfer. I was, was going to ask yeah, you about that. Tell me about that total one. Total powerhouse. She's Are a you blast. A gol- you're not a golfer. Well, I yeah. used to be. I grew up golfing, but I mean, That's I haven't, right. probably haven't swung a golf club I in a very golf's long too, time. I think golf's too slow for you. It's, it's just time-consuming. I don't well, have any time. time. It's the same right. with marathon training. I, I, I couldn't I, do that right now. I, I, the golf thing I played for years six years ago I walked away because it was well time and frustration and a, a funny story I've used the terminology I'm, we're actually after five years we're, we're dating again so I'm, I'm dating golf I'm not sure if it's going to work out in the long term I think term, I'll try it in the future we're just dating so yeah. that way there's no pressure that's nice that's, it's a good way to kind yeah. of view it but, that's okay. a good way to look at it so how did you meet with Christy Kerr who's one of the best women golfers in this country God, she's awesome how, yeah how'd this happen so another friend that I went to grad school with is Sally Johnson, and Christy started a. Um, Christy loves wine and has loved wine for a long time, and she's actually been doing W set courses. I mean, she's, oh, she's really, she's really, really into, into wine. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about it, though, what it takes to be so focused and accomplished at golf, especially yeah. golf, which is such right. a mind game, it's not really a surprise. So she uh, struck up a friendship with Suzanne Pride. Okay. Pride and right. Sally Johnson, uh, the winemaker at Pride, and they had um, a common, um, you know, passion of uh, of raising money for breast cancer, which Christy has done an awful lot of. And so they came up with this wine curvature, which okay. is you know describes mm-hmm. this golf swing, but also the contour of a woman's body. And it's a wine that raises money for breast cancer solely for breast cancer. So total non. Nonprofit, you know, nonprofit, right. and so she had been doing that for a number of years, and um, was then interested in making a for-profit label. And um, Sally and Sally, I mean, obviously Sally and Suzanne have enough going on with Pride and wanting to make the best possible wine there. That they just thought that was a little bit, you know, outside of the scope of right. what they could do and do well. And so um, a, a couple winemakers were recommended to them to Christy and her husband Eric. Um, and so I was one of them. And so I met them in New York and interviewed and was hired for the job. That was 2013. Cool. Must be fun. Yeah. It's really fun. fun. Really, really fun. So you're doing that. And then you did this really cool thing. You did a co-op with, uh, this gal from South Africa. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Nitsiki Bayala. Bayala. Thank you. And you did it, you, according to you did it in 2012 and 2017, you made a joint wine to all, or whatever. Tell me, the, tell me this one. So um, in 20, I think it was 2012. In 2012, um, this woman, um, Mika Bulmash, very young, bright, okay. super driven uh, young woman uh, from New York came out and, and wanted to meet with me and, and had this idea of pairing Napa Valley winemakers with winemakers from sort of up, upcoming regions to provide, um, you know, a resource for information, uh, okay. consulting, right, sharing, uh, support, mm-hmm. and also then a path to market. So to really kind of help in that respect, um, support 
uh, winemakers from developing areas and, and wine and wine regions and just bring more attention to them. And so I said, that's a total no-brainer. I would love to do that. And so she had spent time in South Africa. So that was her first country that she was going to work with. Okay. And she had met um, Nitsiki Bayela, who's, I think, the maybe the first uh, black winemaker, female black winemaker in South Africa, who has an incredible story about how she got into winemaking. She was in a small village um, raised by her grandmother. And, and the airlines came through with a scholarship to wine, to school, wine school. Oh my gosh. And, um, and she oh. won the scholarship. She had really no interest in making wine, but totally fell in love with it. And she is super dynamic, very bright, very energetic, and very talented. And so I had the absolute joy of um, making, we didn't, she made the wine and then I just went and we came up with a blend. So it was really offering expertise in blending. And then, and then, you know, talking to her a lot, she had talked about, she was at a point in her career where she was trying to figure out how she could marry, you know, the need for working and the desire to do something on her own, which is a lot more scary there than it is here. Um, because it's a lot less common. And so we talked a lot about that and I encouraged her to start her own label. And she came up with the name of the label, you know, at a lunch when Nitsiki and Mika and I were just, you know, talking, talking. And laughing. And she did start her own label and she's since, I mean, Food and Wine has named her, oh, you know, like the great. top 10 most exciting winemakers in the world. I mean, she's, she's, she's- awesome. So we did that blend twice and um, I've talked to Mika about, we're probably going to do it again, but that's been really fun. And Mika is, Do you want to talk about persistent? She's unbelievable, unrelenting in trying to raise enough money to start her business, uh, Wine for the World. She ended up starting a um, parallel business of importation and distribution to help, you know, complement and support the this more um, kind of philanthropic uh, Mm -hmm. bend of her or side of her business. And oh my, she's she's incredible. Just does not stop and very, very smart and wonderful, wonderful woman. So that's great. Great story. Yeah. So I got to ask you, how do you do this? (laughs) I just don't sleep. You're making (laughs) making killer wines of your own and other people's. You've got a wonderful husband. You've got a cute little three-year-old boy. Yeah. How, How do you do it? You know, I mean, do you sleep like one, two hours a night? What's the secret? Um, I'm probably very unhealthy right now. I don't really have a lot of time to exercise. <laughs> it kind of comes and goes. And then sleep gets sacrificed. So those are the two things. Because right, I still, well, you know, I really want to be a really good mom and obviously still want to make great wine and try to be a decent wife as well. Right, probably well, a bad friend and a bad daughter <laughs> and a bad sister. And I don't get a lot of sleep. But it's a phase, right? I mean, it's I, a this phase. Is, that's it what is I figured. Phase. It's just, I'm just in that part of my life. It's a so phase. It's great. Got it. Unless you take up golf, then they'll, they'll, they'll screw yeah. the whole thing up. Uh, but quick question. How yeah. do people get a hold of your wines if they want to check them out? Oh, cool. What's um, the best way? Probably just through our, our website and our mailing list okay. is the best way. We are in about, I think, 10 states. Okay. But um, but website, really they, can, they can order it yeah, through the website? Yeah, that's the best way. Because yeah. most of the, you know, all of what we do is they're all single vineyard wines. Okay. Mostly Rhone varietals, but we also make some Cabernet now. Um from a really beautiful site in Napa, but they're all, you know, they're 60 to 200 cases each. So they're pretty small. So our website, you can join the mailing list. And uh, what's the website? Keplingerwines.com. And 
and we do a few releases a year. Great. Helen, thanks for taking the time. Thank you so thanks much for, I, for it's having so, me. It's <laughs> so great to hear this story. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, it's like, you. wow. We'd, so in two or four years, you can come back out here the next four, five or six chapters. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Take care. Thank you so much. You bet. Bye. Wow, that was really cool. Helen Keplinger, a force of nature. She makes killer wines. She's worked with a lot of great people and amazing vineyard sites. And I'm sure her story is far from over. Be sure to check out her wines if you get the chance. If you like the taste, please take a moment to rate and review it on iTunes, as that helps other people find the podcast. Anytime you want to reach us, just send an email to podcast at schafervineyards.com. I read them all and really appreciate the support. We'll see you next time. 